session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my soundcloud page and podcast on itunes again our studio number 310-441-0555 again broadcasting live from our makeshift studio here in my father's house uh, becoming a wednesday tradition now i think that this is the third time i'm doing it as always Ghazal is in the studio for these wednesday shows helping me out to try to make things as smoothly as possible so we'll see how it goes uh, the book of the week for this week is The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. The Culture Code, The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. Uh, so far, I've only read about 15 pages, but it's very interesting basically looking at research and also specific groups who have a good culture within them that's helped them be successful and trying to find what are those ingredients that can make a culture within a group lead to better success. So it seems very interesting so far. Looking forward to uh, reading the rest of that and sharing it with you on Monday night's show. Um, so I wanted to start off today talking about a movie or really it's a, more like a documentary that I saw last night called Cracked Up, the Daryl Hammond story. And it's from 2018. But um, I hadn't heard of it before. My good friend Vahid had mentioned that he saw it and thought I would find it interesting. And I'm really very happy I saw it uh, yesterday. Very powerful, very intense, highly recommended. Again, it's called Cracked Up, the Daryl Hammond story, and it's on Netflix. I should warn you that it does talk about abuse and some struggles with pretty serious mental illness that might be a little bit hard to hear at times. So just giving you that warning to be ready for that, but I highly recommend it. So Daryl Hammond, maybe some of you are familiar with him, or if you saw him or even more specifically heard him, you might realize you know who he is, but he was a long time, and I think for, I don't know if he still is the longest ever cast member on Saturday Night Live, but he was um, on that show for many years and is well known for his impressions that are really uncanny, specifically Bill Clinton, amongst others, but the Bill Clinton one, I think, is the one he's most famous for. And so he was on the show for many years. He even does Donald Trump. Still, I think every so often he'll go on the show, even though he's not a regular cast member of Saturday Night Live. Uh, but he's well known for being able to do voices. And I had no idea about his struggles with mental health that he dealt with. And so it was eye-opening for me to, to see this documentary where he really was very vulnerable and raw. He wrote a book about his struggles. He also, uh, in the movie, you see him preparing and performing a one-man show about his life, but I was unaware of all this. So I'll tell you a bit about what he went through, but also why I think it has so many important lessons for us to keep in mind. So we see Daryl Hammond, this very successful, very funny, very talented, 
comedian and uh, character actor or voice actor in that sense. And he was um, not aware of his abuse. And so we see him go through his life. He has various struggles with mental health. He gets involved with drugs and alcohol, which of course um, is very common after trauma, but he wasn't even fully aware of the trauma that he went through, which was interesting. He didn't know that he um, was abused the way he was. And so he had these repressed memories of his abuse and he had some ideas of them, but he wasn't really sure. And so we see him go through life not knowing what's going on, what's happening, why he's feeling some of the things he goes through, um, but of course still being successful. And this is one of those things where you can be successful, struggling with mental illness, dealing with trauma. Um, of course, it might make your personal life more challenging. It might lead to things like breaking down and various other challenges, but people can be successful even if they have mental illness, even if they're dealing with trauma. Um, so it's something to just keep in mind because at times we'll see someone and think, well, if they're successful, if they're famous, if they're well-known, if they've achieved some level in their life, then they must be okay. They must not be suffering. But that's not the case. To begin with, every one of us has gone through uh, myriad challenges and hardships in our life. Of course, not to compare everyone's story, but there's hardships in everyone's life. And many people have experienced severe traumas of different kinds, but are able to somehow uh, overcome or can overcome in some ways, but still uh, face challenges, as was the case with Daryl Hammond, where he was dealing with drug and alcohol issues. He talks about how he always struggled in relationships with women and couldn't really form what he, he, I think he said a normal relationship or really a healthy relationship uh, with a woman to be in that kind of relationship, uh, but he was successful. So we see this, this split and that split is actually very characteristic of things he experienced. Um, so he went through various bouts of drug and alcohol use and rehabs and he was even hospitalized several times. I don't know if it was nine times. He even did uh, what we call cutting so cutting is uh, when you, you can do it not just with cutting, people use even ice and other things, but literally cutting into the skin, usually to draw blood, which is used as a coping mechanism with pain and especially very common with trauma and especially with sexual abuse. Uh, it seems very paradoxical to many people when you tell them that someone would cut their own skin to uh, feel better or not necessarily to feel better overall, but to deal with some emotional hardship or pain that they're going to, uh, through. Uh, he explained it himself that for him it was, uh, you know, he was going through these emotional pains and struggles and he didn't quite know how to feel about them or what to do about them, but then he would create this crisis or this kind of struggle by the bleeding or the pain, the cutting, and that made it much more manageable or focusable to, to look at what he was dealing with and deal with that. Other people uh, will talk about how they are trying to connect to their pain. They're feeling numb, they feel something bad, and this allows them to feel something. Uh, other people will talk about how it's a visual scar for the internal scars that we have, an external scar representing that, that pain uh, inside. And also there is physiological things that happen when we experience pain or when you cut that uh, will um, send things like endorphins so you could feel temporarily better, kind of like a drug. Of course, 
in no way am I trying to say this is something good. It's very harmful. It's what we would call a maladaptive coping mechanism to cut your own skin. But unfortunately, it might be more common than you think. And I say that so we recognize it, that it's out there. People experience this. Sometimes teenagers will do it. Sometimes they'll hide the cuts. Sometimes they won't hide the cuts. It depends on lots of different factors. But so we see Daryl Hammond, he was cutting and even actually he showed a few clips of when he was on Saturday Night Live and you can actually see the cuts on his arm that he had done recently. Sometimes he said they were even fresh cuts um, because he had done them recently. So that was, that was uh, of course, intense and, and a lot of emotional um, uh, memories that he shared, of course, will we'll bring up memory, uh, emotions in you, and I felt that too. But so we saw that he dealt with his emotional pain in so many ways. And he received so many diagnoses from schizophrenia, which is one of the more severe diagnoses, and another one that's very severe, bipolar disorder, uh, even borderline personality disorder. And so he went through life in this way thinking it was about him. He was the problem. Uh, but I was very touched by this psychiatrist that he got to work with when he was actually hospitalized one time, I believe in New York State, uh, Dr. Nabil Kotbi, I think was his name. I looked him up afterwards and um, even sent him an email, uh, just found his email on his the faculty website. But I was so moved by the way Dr. Kotbi treated him because he told him, you know, you've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, and prescribed all these different medications to deal with them. And he said, you don't have any of those things. You are dealing with trauma. You are a survivor of abuse, and this is how your psyche and how you overall as a person have dealt with that trauma, which is unfortunately uh, oftentimes how we do respond to trauma. Everyone will go through it differently, but some of these characteristics are common to turn to um, drugs and alcohol, to use things like cutting as a coping mechanism, to not take care of your body, to not love your body, to have a hard time making a trusting relationship with someone else. All those things make sense. And so Dr. Kotbi helped him see this and also worked with him to go into the trauma to deal with it, to heal from that pain. You know, we can't uh, heal from something we never feel. And as challenging as it can be, what we usually see is that if we want to get over something, the only way out is through. The only way to actually heal our pain is we have to face it. And with trauma, oftentimes when we're experiencing the trauma, what the brain and the body is doing is numbing or dissociating itself from the trauma because it's so painful, it's so unbearable that it's like a survival technique. I can't experience and feel this pain, so it makes sense for me, again, this is unconscious automatic, it's not some conscious decision, to not feel what's going on right now, to check out, to dissociate. But unfortunately, the feelings don't go away, the trauma doesn't go away, but it can be a way of dealing with it at least temporarily. Um, and also in the movie documentary was um, Bessel van der Kolk who wrote The Body Keeps the Score. And he, that, that book is great looking at trauma and how even if you don't remember it, 
the body, as the title implies, keeps the score. It knows what happened. It's stored in your body. And so it can have a lot of somatic um, manifestations when you've been through trauma. So it was interesting hearing his insights during the documentary as well. But so through his treatment with Dr. Kotbi, he was able to get in touch with some repressed memories, including uh, things like severe abuse, his mom cutting his tongue. I mean, I won't get into the details, using a hammer on him, putting his hand between the doors. And interestingly, he said he remembered those, uh, the last one of his hand being caught in doors, slamming his hand in doors, but he thought it was him. And I wasn't quite sure if he meant he thought he did it himself or he blamed himself. But unfortunately, this is another common experience of childhood abuse, even adults, but especially with children, is that when they are abused, they think somehow it's because they were bad. Why would my mom or my dad hurt me? It, it, it must be because I'm not a good boy or a good girl or I did bad things. Even I hear it in therapy sometimes in a more indirect way. They say, oh, you know, my dad would hit me, but I was a really bad kid. So clearly saying I, it was justified that I was hit. I deserved to be hit. Um, and that's unfortunately one of the conclusions very often that people who are abused, especially as children, come to is that I'm bad. I am the problem and they take that with them going forward. So imagine that, I'm bad, I was hurt, I was abused because I am bad. How much can you also trust others when even your mom and dad were abusing you, were physically and emotionally and maybe even sexually, let's say, hurting you? How easy is it gonna be for you to trust someone else? Your parents let you down that much. How could someone else be trusted? And so this is one of the reasons why it can be so hard for someone who's experienced trauma to create healthy relationships because it's hard for them to really even start the process of emotional intimacy, which involves trusting in your partner. That's something that will never or won't feel safe to them until they've dealt with this trauma. So I was very moved by his treatment with Dr. Kotbi, who was very compassionate, non-judgmental, um, showed him that it's not him that's bad, he has been hurt. And even, I, I think Daryl Hammond himself used this term, rather than saying mental illness, he said mental injury, because that makes sense. It's When you say mental illness, in a way we're implying you are sick as if you are bad in some way. Of course, it still does apply in some ways, but the mental injury part really makes it more clear that you've been hurt in some way. Someone has injured you, you have been hurt, and so you're dealing with all of these things, not that you yourself are bad or not good uh, in some way. And I thought that was very interesting. So seeing his journey, seeing how much he struggled and how heartbreaking uh, the abuse was, and also to, to realize that unfortunately he's not alone. Childhood abuse is uh, out there, it's real. I don't wanna say it's common as if it's happening all the time, but it does happen a lot and of course, uh, many people are living with those wounds, and even if you don't think they affect you, uh, likely they do. The body keeps the score. It'll affect the way you enter relationships, the way you are in relationships, the way you're in a relationship with yourself. That was also something that was brought up, as I've mentioned, that people often who've been traumatized don't take care of themselves. They don't have this loving relationship with themselves and their bodies. Oftentimes they hate themselves. They hate their bodies. Um, because so much of it is associated with these painful experiences. And so the, the movie really was a great uh, eye-opening, heartbreaking, but also inspiring story of Daryl Hammond and how it's affected him. 
Um, and I, I highly recommend it to anyone just to, to check it out. Again, it is pretty intense, so be ready for that. And maybe uh, it's not appropriate for younger children, so just be mindful of those things. But I hope you will check it out if you feel ready for it. it it's called Cracked Up, the Daryl Hammond, uh, was it the story? Daryl Hammond um, story, yes. I hope you'll check that out and let me know what you think. And it was sad to see what childhood abuse can do. And another reason why when I talk about parenting, and when I discuss things like even spanking or hitting your child in any way is not acceptable, is not good, is hurtful. Um, I think that itself is not okay. But on top of that, I think when we think spanking is okay or hitting in some way is okay, it makes it easier to justify more extreme forms of abuse. I'm not saying they're the same thing, but it opens up those doors and makes that more likely to happen. Um, but let's go to a commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. We're going to try to bring on a caller. Let's hope this works. Radio Hambra, you're on the air. I guess that answers that question, but thankfully it seems like we're not having any type of a uh, audio issue, but we just um, lost the caller there. So hopefully they will be uh, calling back. Um, so in, in the previous segment, I did talk about the Daryl Hammond movie Cracked Up, where he shared about his abuse, his trauma, what he um, went through. Um, I guess they're back on. Again, we're, we're having some technical... Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I'm, I'm not sure what's happening here. Um, Radio Hamra, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, there we go. Okay, great. Uh, go ahead. We're having, again, some technical challenges we're trying to overcome, but glad I can hear your voice. Go ahead. How can I help you? No problem. Hi, Dr. Farid. How are you doing? Uh, good. Thank you. Yourself? Uh, thank you. I just saw a picture of your dad on Instagram with all those beards. He was so cute. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that picture is going to break the internet. It's a, a picture of my father with a, a full beard. Uh, he has it, I think, shaved in more than a month. Even for me, it's surprising because he always shaves basically every day. So uh, yeah, I, I think people get a kick him. out of that. Yeah, yeah. So people could see. And he's sitting in the same chair I am in. Of course, we sanitize everything to make sure uh, we're, we're keeping each other safe. But... Um, people will probably see that on the Radio Hamra page and his own page on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, let me know I how I can that. help Thank you. Thank you for sharing. It was cute. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go ahead. Okay, Dr. Said, um, it's about my son. He's four years old. He's my second child. My older is six. Um, mm -hmm. The last thing that happened is that he asked his dad for a lipstick. And, um, he, for lipstick? And then, yes, lipstick. Okay. And he didn't mm -hmm. know what to tell him and this is not the only thing that happened since he was 18 months old i have seen some signs that he prefers bright colors like pink some girlish things um mm -hmm. several months ago he was crying and saying that mom i don't want to be a boy i want to be a girl like my sister mm -hmm. um he she should be a boy and i want to be a girl Things like this. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think? Okay. So you said the six-year-old is a girl? Yes. Okay. And so, um, you know, my overall 
first of all, I understand it brings up these thoughts. You don't know how to handle it, and it's not easy. The first thing I would say is to keep in mind that when it comes to th these types of things about how someone feels about themselves, usually we can't do much in the sense of we can't change that person. Like, so we, I don't want you to feel like you have this pressure to convince your son to be a boy or, or whatever it might be. Um, first of all, I think it's not something so bad. Whatever he wants to be is, is going to be his choice anyway. But I want you and your husband to keep that in mind that it's not something that there's this pressure on you guys to make him one way or the other. I've had people call me or even personally or professionally ask about, well, I think my son, maybe he looks like he could be gay. What should we do? And I always tell them, well, first of all, it's not bad to be gay. And that's something that you're going to have to look at your own thoughts about homosexuality and different things related to that. But also, it's not something that you can affect either. So don't think that your role is now to convince them one way or the other. So my first reaction is when he says he wants something uh, like lipstick, that you are okay with it and let him have that. It doesn't mean it's going to make him something or something else. And if you try to take it away from him, it, I don't want you to think that this type of thought or feeling will just go away. If it's something he's just going through, a phase or whatever you want to call it, then it will go away by itself. But if you try to force him to do something, that's not going to make it go away if that's what you want to happen. Okay. Yeah. What can we um, tell him when we, he asks for something uh, like that? Like lipstick? Yes. I mean, like I said, I, mean, I think it's, well, if you're fine giving it to him in general, imagine if he was your daughter, if you're having that thought. To me, it's just, if he wants that, so I mean, then, if you say, yeah. I'm sorry, um, two or a couple of months ago, my husband bought some uh, lip balms. For everybody, he bought four, uh -huh. and he gave him one. But he says, I don't want a lip balm. I mean, I want a lipstick like my sister. Uh-huh. And so that's another thing. We don't know, is it his big sister and he wants to be like her? We know that's very common with siblings. Oh, okay. I yeah, I mean, no, I'm saying I don't know. I don't want you to, We don't know exactly what's going on. I'm sure you would like to know, is this a phase? Is this he wants to be like his sister? Is it really he is feeling like he should be... A female we don't know yet and that can be hard as a parent because obviously you're having feelings about it that what does this mean who is he what's going to happen so you're going to try to figure it out but as much as possible i would say you have to allow for him to become himself and not try to change him or force him to go one way or the other because more than likely you won't have any effect and if anything you might affect him negatively by pushing things away within him about who he is. So to me, if he asks for lipstick, we can say, okay, you can have lipstick. And again, could it be that he sees his big sister doing something? And I even remember, you know, yes, my brother, we were the same sex, but you know, what he liked, I liked. He liked basketball and that probably pushed me to get more into basketball. He would like this show, I would watch a show. And so we, are, we know that that does happen too. And so again, I would think that if you try to recognize your role isn't going to be to make him, let's say, if you think we have to make him more like a boy or make him more manly or make him more this, you, you probably can't do much anyway. And you'll also be giving him a message that who he is might not be okay to you. So I would be very careful about that.
Totally understand. Yeah. How are you guys feeling? What are you guys going through? Because I know it can be challenging. I understand you're unsure. It can bring up lots of feelings. You know, as much as I do think we should make a child feel okay, however they are, we do live in a world where unfortunately still people that might be different from what people consider the norm do get treated a certain way. So I can understand it might bring up a lot of feelings for you and your husband. I know that uh, if he's going to be a gay in future, I cannot do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he will be supported by us anyways. Um, He will be loved. Um, But um, I just don't know. I'm a tough mom. Uh, I have called about my older uh, child um, before. Um, she has many different situations. Um, mm-hmm. She's a ADHD, dyslexia. So I'm a tough mom. I know life is not easy. They are not easy. So um, I'm ready. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear that. There, you know, being a being a a mom or a dad, it's not easy. It is challenging all sorts of things are going to come up. Uh, Another thing, you know, just to make a comment, you said if he's gay um, and sexuality and who someone is attracted to, and then also their own gender identity, if they feel they're more um, man or woman, and that those are two, they can be related, but they don't have to be. So he could say, I feel like I'm a girl, let's just say, but I am attracted to men or attracted to women or both or what it might be and it doesn't have to be one and the same and also again he's four years old so he's not quite sure about a lot of these things he's talking about and that's another reason why we want as much as we can to not make them a big deal in the sense that we try to push him or change him or tell him it's bad or tell him it's wrong because we don't know what he's going through and one of the things I try to remind parents is of course we want to give our children a good environment love support the things they need But more than anything, we also get out of their way to let them become who they are. Kind of like when you have a plant. You can't pull the plant out of the ground to make it grow or push it this way or that way. You give it the soil, you give it the water, you give it sunlight and let it grow into what it's going to become. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to I'm glad you're recognizing that you're going to love him no matter what, no matter who he is and and whatever he recognizes himself to be and wants to be i'm glad he'll have that and like you acknowledge as far as him becoming who he is you can't force him to become one thing or the other so i would say more than anything let him be how he wants to be so if he says he wants lipstick at four that's fine i know you know sometimes kids they want to paint nails or paint their own nails or paint their mom's nails or dad's nails it doesn't necessarily mean something about sexuality for sure because those are things we make very clear you know just like we might see a kid especially let's say 30 years ago and if a boy wanted to play cooking in the kitchen we would think that means he's you know more of a woman but that was because we have these assumptions about certain things that maybe a child doesn't have yet so um i i hope you'll give him the space to be how he wants to be and it's important for you and your husband to talk about it to make sure you're on the same page uh, do you guys feel differently? Do you or your husband feel differently, or you're pretty much uh, on the same page about this? We talked about it. Uh, he was sad, and mm-hmm. um, I told him that we cannot do anything about it. Um, they will figure out how yeah. they are going to live in future, and um, we talked about it. Yes, we're on the same page. Good. It's harder well, for yeah. him, yeah. but we try to 
um, um, do whatever we can for them. Yeah, and so I mean, you know, I, I'm glad you guys are talking about it and being on the same page usually means you have to keep communicating about it because as time goes on, the, the situation changes, your own thoughts and feeling will change. So it, it needs to be something you keep communicating about. Um, but even when you, you, know, you say he's sad, I, I understand it brings up a lot of feelings for people to think about these things, deal with things, but a few things to keep in mind. One is to be aware that nothing has happened yet. We don't know you know, what your son is exactly going through, what that means he's going to become or want to be as he's getting older, we don't know. So it might bring up some anxiety or confusion even for you guys, but you don't have to, you know, let's get sad because something has happened yet. We don't even know what's happening. But then secondly, you know, you mentioned he will be loved if he's gay or whatever he, you know, whoever he is, he'll be loved and I hope that's true. But something that people have to deal with at times is of course, he's your son, you'll love him, but you're gonna to have to face some of your own issues, you and your husband, related to these issues. What does it mean to you when someone is gay or lesbian or transgender? What judgments might you have about those people uh, before you had a son that maybe, and again, we don't know, but just something to think about. And so if he's getting older and these things come up, just something for you and your husband to be aware of is to be aware that we have prejudices at times within us that we'll have to face to really be able to love and accept someone. And even actually, interestingly, sometimes very often people who are, for example, homosexual themselves, they have those things. So growing up, maybe they've heard some things about being gay or lesbian, and they have them. And then when they realize they are, it could even lead to negative feelings towards themselves because of that. And so that's something to keep in mind in general, but also for you and your husband, I think for everyone, really, I try to tell parents to be very aware of how you talk about any group of people, to never dehumanize or disrespect anyone, to never talk badly about people from a different race, a different religion, different sexuality. Try to show your children from a young age love and acceptance of all people for who they are. So that's something I would say for every parent. Doesn't mean just because you're not sure if your child might be dealing with these issues related to gender or sexuality. But I think every parent should keep that in mind, but also something for you and your husband to keep in mind that maybe, you know, because you're wondering these things, you might even start testing things like say something about a gay couple or something as they, he gets older to test things. And so be very mindful that you don't show him any prejudice, again, I would say towards any group to make that very clear to him, but especially about these types of issues because he's going to absorb those things like a sponge. And then if he's dealing with issues related to sexuality, gender identity, as he gets older, he might actually um, turn those negative feelings onto himself. So it's a complex issue, but I hope you'll give your son and your daughter, of course, the space to be who they want to be and realize that it's up for them to decide and also it's not something you can change and to just let them become the wonderful, beautiful uh, children and then adults that they can become. Thank you so much. Sure. I Thank you for calling. Oh, good. I appreciate you calling. It's a challenging, you know, it's always challenging with our kids to love them and, and to make them feel okay however they are. And so we realize it brings up stuff for us. What do we feel about those issues? Even sometimes, you know, parents will in therapy or call me about their kid is not a good student. And it brings up some issues for them about being not a good student, not being smart, not being whatever it is. And so they might take that out on their kids. So we always have to look at our own 
uh, mindset and beliefs and see how that affects her kids. But thank you for calling. I really appreciate you sharing your story thank with you us. Thank you for having me. Sure, have a, have a great day. day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Hi. Go Hello? ahead. Yes, Hi, I can you hear, hear you. Me? I can hear you just fine. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Thank you um, for giving me the time, uh, even though sure. I had to call twice and waited so long. But thank you. I, I'm calling about uh, the issues I have with my son, and uh, because I haven't got that much battery left on my phone, and I'm out because um, I couldn't talk in front of my son. Uh, I, I I give you a background. Um, and uh, put my question to you. Uh, is that okay? Sure, go ahead, yeah. Okay, so um, my son is 28 years old, and I'm 58, soon to be 59, and my ex-husband is uh, six years older than me. Uh, he's a single child, uh, and I divorced my husband when my son was uh, three years old. Uh, but we've had a good uh, relationship and he had close contact with his dad. Uh, he went to private school and uh, he did very well, uh, although, uh, shall I just every now and then just wait to see if you want to ask a question? Well, no, for now, I'll, I'll stop you. I mean, for now, you're giving the background. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, so, uh, so the, the teachers were always telling me that uh, his concentration is not very good. But at the same time, he was the top of the class, and, uh, you know, I never thought anything. Uh, and uh, he did very well until uh, the A-level years, which is, the, you know, the system here is that you have to do A-level after mm-hmm. your GCSE before you go to uni. And uh, he wasn't studying at all. He, he still got B's, and he got into a university to do electrical engineering because he'd done maths and uh, physics and uh, chemistry. Uh, and then halfway, he said that he didn't like the subject and uh, he wanted to do environmental biology. So he missed a year. He did the environmental biology. He uh, didn't apply himself. He still got his pass to to uh, doing nothing really, not applying himself. And then he just did a little bit of work here and there as a receptionist. Then he went uh, traveling for two years in Australia, New Zealand, and other places. And he came back. Then he uh, worked for my company for four months. And then I guess it was a classic mother-son situation. And he said, I can't work for you, Mom. And uh, then I was all the time saying, please do a bastard in any subject you choose. And he was always resisting, saying, no, even the degree I did it because you and Dad wanted it. And finally, I said, okay, so what is it that you really like to do? Because by that time, after he came back from Australia, he was like... I like to do uh, music production, even though he he was not a musician. He hadn't uh, he had rejected uh, learning piano or anything, but he was getting good and he was producing digital music. I said, okay, then go and do a master in uh, sound and music. So he did that, and despite the fact that he had no background uh, like the other people on the course, he got a distinction and he got his master just last September October. So and then. Uh, when he came back from Australia, although he lived with me for a year, then 
I got him an apartment and he was living independently, producing music, doing his master. And then around December, last December, he started saying he has a headache. Shall I continue? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, so one, some things already, um, there's this theme already that you are, you're making a lot of the decisions in his life and, and pushing him, you know, to do this or do that. I'm sure in your mind, you're saying, well, I'm pushing him towards education, which is good. I think overall education is obviously good. But he already said even before he went into the master's that I only did my bachelor's degree because of you and dad, not because of myself. And so that's something that already is a little um, troubling for true. me. Although he said it like that, it wasn't that uh, it was like a given, like everybody from the school was going to uni. So he meant that it was like a push from everybody. I wasn't personally putting um, any okay. effort into it. In fact, his dad chose the subject. He agreed and he had a fantastic relationship with his father. And, and that's how he got into electrical engineering. And then he changed his mind and it was his subject he chose. Then he chose to do the job that he did, and then he chose to travel where he wanted. He chose to come back. He chose mm -hmm. to work for me. He chose to stop it. So the only thing I just thought, oh, my God, you know, he's getting on. And and even then, I said, you just choose a subject. Uh, yeah, in that sense, I, I pushed for the master. But then he yeah. chose it. He was glad he did it because he actually uh, is advancing in what he's doing now, and it's uh, producing sound and music. And he's selling a little bit, although he's not making that much money from it. Now, this is just the background. Now, last December, around last December, he started saying he's having a headache. And that he thinks it's because of the five, because of the 5G phone loss. And he said, oh, mom, because can I come what? back and sleep? Hello? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you said he thought the headaches were caused by what? Uh, he said that he's having headaches and he thought it was because of the... 5G technology, the phone masks, which were outside, uh, immediately oh. outside his flat. Okay. And he asked me if he can come back and sleep uh, during the night here. I said, you can move back. So he moved back. Uh, oh, I forgot to say that he also became a father uh, while he was traveling. And uh, his daughter, my granddaughter, is uh, nearly two years old. So that was a point of uh, that was an issue between us, but anyway, I what made a hundred and eighty. Hello? Hello? Yes, you said that was the issue between us. What was the issue? Yeah, because basically, when 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 I found out, I I, I couldn't help myself. I was crying, and I said I I was looking forward to becoming a grandmother, but not this way because you're not even choosing to be with her. Why did you? Why why were you so irresponsible? Because they they weren't in love, and they were just a casual relationship and, and uh, the girl said that she wanted to have a baby and uh, he said okay if it happens it happens so mm -hmm. so I was I was distraught and okay. so but yeah then, now your son I mean has he ever been diagnosed with anything because I get some that, there's that's some... where I want to get no not yeah, officially okay. but okay so, because oh, sorry, yeah, ADHD, well, that's okay. Picture. There just seems to be some, you know, maybe it's ADHD or something, just the way he makes decisions. Well, there I'm afraid seem to it be may be worse, doctor. Well, like bipolar? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so, and uh, at that point, um, sorry, yeah, so, so he, he moved back, and then we went to meet, uh, well, I went to meet uh, my granddaughter. He had gone to see her uh, a couple of times uh, because the mother of the baby is half French and half 
from Martinique. So uh, he had gone to see the baby once in France and twice in Martinique. So I went this time around just to meet and uh, said, okay, I, I have to accept it. Because I said to him, oh, that's the other thing. I said, oh, you should have a DNA test because this girl wanted to have a baby. You had a casual relationship. And uh, yeah, he said that actually his friend had said the same thing. And when he put that to her, she said that, uh, oh, don't you trust me? And that was it. And she wouldn't do it. And that he was sure that it was his baby. And at that time, I was like thinking, maybe not. But then one night I asked him, what if after many years you find out that the baby is not actually yours? What would you do? He said, well, I still go on loving the baby, loving the child as my own, because she thinks I'm, I'm the father and we have a bond. And I thought, okay, if you can do that, then definitely I can do that as well. I said, I'll come and beat them. And uh, I thought I'd make peace with everybody and that's it. So I went there and I met the baby. In fact, I fell in love with the baby and we have uh, WhatsApp communication every few days. And they're planning to come to Toronto here. So that's that part of it. But the reason I'm calling is because of some major issue that has happened recently. So I go back to where I was. So he talking about 5G technology and the harm it does. And that just coincided eventually when we came back from Martinique with the uh, coronavirus crisis and, and the lockdown. And suddenly he was just not himself. He said, uh, because he moved back here and then he realized that even on top of our roads, there is a phone mask. And then he bought this uh, a meter, which measures the uh, EMF, the electromagnetic field. And he would go around and measure it. And so around our house, it was like in the middle, like orange or yellow color. And then some places where there was no, no mask, it would be green. And near his house and other places where it's near the phone mask, it was like red and going high. So he was like panicking. He said, oh, I'm going wild camping. And I, I was begging not to because it was the coronavirus crisis, the lockdown. And uh, just, just at the same time, it was Persian New Year. Anyway, he said that he was going. So he went. The following night, I said, I'm coming because I thought if I go there, maybe I make peace. And, you know, I say, OK, I'm, in a way, you know, I agree there's some harm, but we don't know exactly what. So I went there for two days. It was my first time. I managed to stay, but I said, I can't stay anymore. I have to come back. Can you please come back? He said, no, I'm not coming back. So anyway, after two nights, he came back because the lockdown, uh, you know, the police were checking and everybody had to go. So he came back home. But then he started going really funny. Like he ordered this um, silver thread uh, kind of vest and hat that he would put on uh, because he think it would protect him. And then he bought a tent made of this silver thread to put around his bed. And he was just so cynical. And I was like crying secretly and phoning everybody, trying to get somebody on the phone. And everybody was saying he's over 18 and he's never had any problem before. Uh, we can't do anything. And uh, unless he agrees to have a consultation, we can't do anything. So those were really bad days. And then he kind of calmed down. He still talks about it. He still wears the vest, but uh, he sleeps, uh, you know, in the tent, uh, the silver tent um, uh, at night. But during the day, he, he after breakfast, he goes. Uh, to a studio in a basement somewhere he has rented for his music and then he comes back late at night. And mm. so my question to you now is twofold. One, uh, I don't know what to do because he definitely has got some mental disorder. I don't know exactly how bad it is. Yeah. At first I thought maybe it's going to be like a pretext to bipolar or even worse. But then I thought maybe, you know, if he, if the material he sent me the video clips and things, and there are these apparently doctors and scientists who talk about this 
uh, 5G technology harming us so badly and related to uh, how our body reacts, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. the people who actually react so badly to coronavirus and need hospitalization is because they've been harmed by the 5G uh, harm. Uh, yeah, so I mean, this is, uh, you know, it, it, this is obviously when we talk about things like um, delusions, what's challenging is that part of the a definition of delusion is something that is a belief that's outside of reality or that doesn't fit reality, just like hallucination is a perception that's not in reality. But of course, reality can be a, it's not something that we can say definitively, it's this or that. So that's what makes these things hard too, because you say he sends me these videos, so there seems to be some evidence supporting what he's talking about. So it makes it seem like it's not totally out there. But initially to me, it does come off as having some paranoid um, tendencies to it the way you're describing it and the lengths he's going to. But there's many people that will uh, agree with him, just like there's lots of... Um, Unfortunately. Yeah, conspiracy theories out there. And again, if you believe in the conspiracy theory, you're, you think everyone else is stupid, and then people who don't believe in... who people who believe in... don't believe in it think those who believe in a conspiracy theory are stupid. So it, it puts you in a tough spot to... Um, I, I wouldn't try to convince him because you're not going to, because if it's a delusion, he, he, people don't just get convinced by, you know what, the FBI, for example, in the United States, they're not after you because they believe it and they think, oh, now you're in on it too. You know, So trying to convince him probably won't work. Um, could it be some type of schizophrenia or something going on? Maybe. Uh, he does seem a little bit disorganized in the way you describe him, the decisions he makes, He's a little bit, the, you know, the types of decisions to have a, a child with someone. Again, you can do that, but the way you describe it, we'll see what happens. There's some, you know, it seems like there's something going on with his decision-making. That's why at first the ADHD came to mind, but now that you explain more, it seems like there is more going on. Um, the The problem is that with someone who's, it's, if it is, let's say, some type of psychosis or some level of schizophrenia, if they don't see a problem, and if they're not actually a harm to themselves or a danger to other people, then there's not a lot you can do as far as, you know, you can't force him to get treatment, which I don't think, you know, it's a good idea until he really, uh, if hopefully he's He has he's kind of problem. agreed that, um, I said, well, let's have a session together. Uh, and so, you know, to, to, to help us, I said, well, I have anxiety because of your anxiety. Let's have a session together. I wouldn't tell it to him that. I wouldn't say it to him in that way that my anxiety is caused by you because then that's, you know, putting it all on him. But nonetheless, he agreed. That's good to go to a session. Okay. And then I have one other question. Can I ask you that as well, quickly? Okay. Um, Okay. So my other question is uh, I have been kind of supporting him financially. I mean, I, I was. Uh, I, I paid for all for, for his master, which was very expensive, and I, I got him the flat, uh, which is, he lived in it, and now that he's not in it, it's left, and he has got the money, and I never asked for money. He has everything ready, you know, food, anything that he needs at home, and which I, which I gladly would give him, I mean, whatever I have, and I'm quite uh, well off. My business is doing so well, but uh, I don't want him to... I want him to make it himself before I, I give him more. So at this stage, at this vulnerable situation that he is now, shall I continue or shall I withdraw? Well, I mean, these things like should you uh, support him or not, it's all part of a bigger bigger type of question. I, I mean, I know you said your phone was running low, 
But yeah. um, I also want to get back into the other part where you said he's agreeing to go to a session because his mental health, I, I want to get an idea of also the background, your family background, his father's family background to see what else we can uncover there. So I'm going to put you on hold and, and bring you on after the break and then we'll okay. continue the discussion. Okay. All right. Okay. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Dolokwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Uh, unfortunately, during the break, apparently we lost the caller. I know she said her phone was low uh, on battery. Also, we're having some issues. Just again, I'm not in the studio. Uh, Ghazala is in the studio trying to make everything as smoothly, uh, run as smoothly as possible. But again, it's a little bit different and we're still getting used to that. But anyway, um, you know, just a few final remarks in case she is listening and to, to round things out. When we have an adult child or just an adult in our life, of course, there's not so much we can do for them. And um, in this particular case, I can understand the mom was worried and wanted to help her child out and was worried about her. But it did seem that at times she was trying to do more for him than he was doing. But nonetheless, coming back to uh, what he was going through, it is tough if we have a family member or friend who believes in something we don't. And Usually when we think of the things that we think about or believe, we like to think that it's a purely logical, rational thing. All of us do. But we know that it's a lot more about emotions at times or beliefs rather than just something logical. This is true when it comes to political issues, uh, gun rights, abortion, even right now with what's going on with the lockdown, uh, people wanting to open up America, people wanting to clo keep it closed, people say this, people say that. I'm not saying people are not affected by information. They can be and they are. But very often we have to be aware of our own biases. So, for example, if you're someone whose business is being significantly affected, um, obviously most people are, but maybe for you it's bigger and for you your business is so important to you, it's likely that your bias will be towards thinking, well, we should open back up. This is too harmful. The, the cure is worse than the disease, as has been said. Um, whereas if you're someone else who's actually doing okay, you're going to feel less affected in that way. And other biases, if you're in the medical field, you might have certain thoughts. And so we always have to be aware that we're going to be affected by our who we are, things we've been through, beliefs we have, biases we have. All those are going to play a part in what we um, feel and think about things. And feel sometimes might even be more accurate because very often we feel something. I say gun control and you're going to feel something. Some people will feel like we need to have stricter gun control in the United States. It's ridiculous what's going on. And other people will think, oh, gun control means you're taking my rights. And so they're going to immediately have that reaction. But so coming back to this caller, it's tough when you're dealing with someone who believes something you don't. Um, like I said, trying to convince them usually just leads to more conflict and you not getting to them or changing their mind. I'm happy they're going to go to therapy and see what's happening um, and wish them all, all the best in that. I did want to come back to something I was going to talk about before the callers came on related to the first segment where I, I shared about uh, Daryl Hammond's experiences. He has a documentary called Cracked Up on Netflix that I thought was really interesting, but about his experience with trauma as um, a child and how much it affected him the rest of his life. It still does. And it is remarkable, um, heartbreaking, but also really just the reality that 
Those early childhood experiences can be so meaningful and impactful on our lives and the rest of our lives. Unless we get treatment, and even when you get treatment, uh, it's almost impossible to undo all the pain. You can try to make it better, but once something is cracked, it's hard to put it back together. It's better to keep it intact altogether. I think Frederick Douglass had a quote, something like, it's easier to build strong children or something like that than to repair broken men. Um, of course, it's men or women, anyone, but it's, it's easier to raise something right than to try to fix it afterwards, whatever it is that we're talking about. And so when people come to therapy, and we even you see it on movies and TVs, there are these cliches of, oh, what was your mom like? What was your dad like? You have daddy issues. You have mommy issues. Oh, did your mom not hug you enough? And these kinds of things. And we joke about it. But the reality is that what we experience in those early years is so monumental and impactful in who we become. Now, it doesn't mean we have no effect as we get older. Of course we do. And there's lots you can do to, to work on what's happened, to grow, to develop yourself, your personality. It's not completely fixed. It's something we have an effect over. But as a parent and parents, it's important to realize how impactful what you do with your child is the ways you interact with your child, how important that is. And so, of course, if you've heard me, you know that my approach is a more loving approach. I don't believe in using fear to get your kids to do something or to get them to not become a certain way because it doesn't seem to work. And also it creates damage between the relationship you have with your child and how they feel in general about trusting others and being in relationships. So to me, the fearful punitive mindset of parenting is not a helpful one. And of course, there is a lot between being more authoritarian and abuse. They're not one and the same, so I'm not suggesting that. But it's something for parents to keep in mind that when you are creating your relationship with your child, and really think of it that way, you are creating a relationship with your child from the moment that they're born, or really even before they're born, you are creating this relationship by how you treat them, interact with them, uh, think about them, prepare for them before they're here, and continue to prepare. This is all a relationship you are creating with them. And if we look at what the experience of someone like Daryl Hammond or so many others who've experienced abuse, we see how costly, how harmful and detrimental it is when a child feels that they can't feel safe with their parents or really safe in this world, but then that includes that relationship with their parents. And so this is why I urge parents so strongly to be aware of how they interact with their kid and how they make their child feel. This doesn't mean you have to coddle your child or you have to say that no matter what your child does, it's good and right and never have discipline in any way or never have boundaries or rules. That's going to hurt your child in another way. So it's not good for us to just say um, there's no structure, there's no boundaries, whatever happens, happens. No, we need to create a structure, boundary, um, and support for the child that actually will help them grow and to develop. But the thought that we have to do this by using fear is where I really disagree and think we should be aware of. How much are you using fear to get your child to do what you want? 
or how much are you using your power as an authority to do what you want. I put a quote up a few, I think it was months ago, about how as a parent, you are given this great authority, of course, but the mindset of a parent, rather than being one of, I have power, here's where I'm powerful and strong, it's that you're given this power to serve your child in the service of helping your child grow, of helping them become and reach their full potential. And sometimes people don't like this word when you say you're like a servant to your children. Uh, by servant, again, I'm not saying you coddle them. It doesn't mean they treat you like a servant in the sense like you're like a butler. So if they want something, they can be demanding and treat you with disrespect and you accept all of it. No, that's not what I'm saying. But by servant, I mean realizing that you're given this power to help them grow. It's not yours, as in you get to feel good about the power. It's yours in helping to serve them. Just like if you're a teacher, you're given this authority to be in front of the class and to organize the class and to um, help monitor things and to help you know do so much. So you are given this power and authority. But again, that power and authority is not to feed your own ego and to feel good about yourself and to feel strong and to look down on someone else. It's all in the service of educating these children that you have to helping them grow, not to wield your power to feel good, but to utilize your power in that relationship to help them grow. And this mindset is very uh, important for us to keep in mind. And, and even what brought this quote to my mind was seeing some parents out in public. Um, it's kind of interesting now to think back. It was just a few months ago, but being out in a mall or a restaurant, something that we haven't done most of us for a few months now, um, and seeing just parents interacting with their kids in a way where you can just tell they were relishing in the power. I am, I am strong. I get to tell you what to do. I get to make the rules. And again, yes, you do get to make the rules, but your mindset should be, I'm making these boundaries and rules to help my child grow, not to feel good, not to put them down or to look down on them. But unfortunately, as parents, we have to check. And I even tell parents, you have to make sure, am I being like a dictator? And I know that sounds uh, maybe dramatic or extreme, but really it's true because when we look at what a dictatorship is like is that when someone has ultimate power, unchecked power, and when you're a parent, of course, hopefully there, if there's two parents in the home, they're checking each other, but you really do have unchecked power. What can a two-year-old do? Maybe tantrum, maybe cry or do certain things, and that's actually some of the things they do when things are unfair. Of course, they do it anyway, but that might be some of the measures they use, but there's not much they can do. And so the parent does have in a sense, unchecked and ultimate power. They can uh, do essentially whatever they want and get away with it. And so you have to check yourself because um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And of course, that usually is uh, discussed when we're talking about government, but it's also true in a relationship. If you have the ultimate power in this uh, relationship, this absolute power, you have to keep yourself in check or you might, or you almost definitely will abuse it. And really, I think every parent at some point in their uh, role as a parent has gone to that place of using their authority. Like, you know what, because I'm 
the one who gets to make the rules and I don't just like this or I don't feel good about it. So I'm going to just do this and uses that power. Even I've recognized it in working with children and tutoring children. I think I brought it up when I mentioned this a few months ago, that sometimes when I was tutoring the kids um, who I, I love so much, but at times maybe I was frustrated, I was tired, I would realize I would go too much into the role of, well, I'm the tutor and at some level have this power here so I can kind of be a little forceful to get things to go a certain way. And, and it can be a fine line because of course you at times have to use your authority to help guide things and to help create some order or structure. Let's say if I'm working with these kids, I can't just let them run over me. Maybe they need a little bit of pushback to keep them um, focused on their tasks so they don't lose their focus, to, so they don't, let's say, disrupt each other. But it is a, a fine line. And I realize maybe at times I'm, I, I have to be aware of that or I might be going too much into my space of power, even in this uh, you know small way, and try not to do that. So it's going to happen because when you get frustrated when you are trying things and it feels like it's not working, very often you're going to go into that space of power. You know, a lot of times parents will, you'll teach them some technique, you know, talk to your kids about this, give them warnings or do this, and they'll do it a few times, but then if they feel like it doesn't work, then they'll say, oh, screw this, go to your room, I'm the mom, I'm telling you to go, I don't care what you're doing, or threaten them, or use some other method and we give up on those what you might consider softer or more loving techniques because it's getting frustrating it's tough and so to me being a very good parent of course it's the hardest job you will have in your life but doing it right by that i mean doing it in a more loving way it does take more patience and time you know if you want to get a child to study or help encourage them to study, it takes, you know, your whole lifetime of showing them that learning is good, working hard is good, giving them reinforcement when they work hard, um, encouraging them to structure their day so they can work harder. All these different things can go into trying to get your child through love uh, and care to want to do their work. Now, on the other hand, if you just threaten to beat your child, if they don't study for the test tomorrow, it's very likely they will study. So it doesn't take as much effort and time and it can feel like in the moment it's getting the job done because they studied. And that's what sometimes parents will say, maybe not with such an extreme thing of threatening to beat their child, but using other types of um, harmful, threatening types of parenting. They say, well, it worked. And I always take issue with that. When someone tells me something worked, we can't just look at the... Um, moment, of course, we want to be mindful and be in the moment, but we can't just think of, well, they got the work done and that was the only thing I cared about. As a parent, your job isn't just to get your kid to do things, to get tasks completed. You're trying to help raise a healthy, strong, confident, loving, kind, good person, not just someone who finishes things or gets things done. And that can be an important distinction and mindset to have. What is my goal ultimately as a parent? Is it just to make sure my kid gets straight A's, my kid gets their homework done, my kid learns how to play an instrument or does this or looks good or looks that way? Or am I actually trying to raise a full human being who I want to be kind, loving, to love themselves, to love me, to have a good relationship with me because that'll be good for him or her also, and have that mindset. But if we get fixated on just what works in the moment, we can lose sight of the bigger picture of what we're really trying to do. And so going back to the issue of trauma, what is so important is that 
in a way, we, we, what we can say, the opposite of trauma is not coddling, but the opposite of trauma or abuse is creating a safety zone or a space of safety where your child feels safe with you and in this world, that they feel okay. Safe doesn't mean that they feel like they don't have to try or care about anything. No. Safe means that I can believe in this world. I can have hope and faith that things will be okay. I can have faith in other people. People won't just try to hurt me or won't just try to um, uh, destroy me or betray me in some way. So be aware of that, that one of your biggest roles as a parent, you know, if we look at Erickson's stages, the first year is about trust versus mistrust. And that can be related to how quickly the baby's needs are met. But also we continue building that feeling of trust within the child. And so you should be aware as a parent, do I make my child feel safe? And for some parents, this can be tough because they think the only way you can get someone to do something is to scare them. So almost they have to feel unsafe. Even they'll say they have to fear me for my kids to listen to me. But you're kids are not supposed to just listen to you like you're some kind of, again, dictator. Your child is supposed to get, of course, guided by you, given structure by you, but eventually will have to listen to themselves as they get older and especially into adulthood. Listening to you is not the path to them being happy, successful, living a fulfilled life. So if you just focus there on how do I make things easier for me so that when I tell my kids sit, they sit. If I say put on their shoes, they do it instantly. That's really not going to serve them long term. And you're taking a short term, easier way out rather than the longer term focus of how do I develop a good human being, help my child to reach their full potential. So be very aware of this difference of creating a safe, emotionally safe environment for your child where they can feel good about themselves, the world and other people. The alternative of creating fear makes them feel that they're living in an unsafe world and they never get to feel good about themselves, the world, and connecting with others. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Ferry. Yes, hi, thanks uh, for calling. Uh, I, I have a little tough time hearing you. Oh, really? Okay, I'll try to speak up. Let me know if you can hear me all right. But go ahead, let me know what your call is about. Okay. Uh, I'm calling regarding some concern uh, uh, for my son, who is 28 mm -hmm. years old. Okay. Uh, I just want to give you a little background. Is I am... Uh, I came to California myself at age 17 to go to school. I've been here for 46 years. I have an American husband. We've been married for 32 years, two children. One is 30, and my son is 28. He's, uh, he has been a great uh, son and a great person. We've never had any problem with him. He's extra smart, uh, went to uh, two schools graduate and undergrad grade schools and is working now. Okay. He has been living with a girlfriend for the past uh, three years. Mm -hmm. And it started that uh, his girlfriend didn't 
didn't have a roommate and asked him to they live together, they moved together, and ever since then they've been together. Uh, I listen to your father's uh, program all the time, and he, I, he really does not agree with people living together if, uh, you know, have for a long time if they're going to get married. I asked my son and I asked him whether he wants to marry this person, and he says no. Uh, I, I can't imagine myself to be with her for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. However, he says he loves her and he's happy now. Uh, there are some red flags about uh, this girl for me, and I know <laughs> maybe for Persian mothers this is acceptable. I know as, as Americans it's not acceptable to interfere with, mm-hmm. with your child's choice or life or anything. But, uh, and I'm not, so I'm not saying really much to him, but it's really, I think, is a point of wariness for me. And I don't know if I, how can I talk to him, or should I talk to him, or, uh, mm-hmm. so um, I'm just yeah. wondering if you can guide me sure. what to do. Well, you know, it's intriguing. You said, um, my father will say don't uh, live together too long if, before getting married. But he also says parents should not get too involved in their kids' relationships. So um, it, we have to make sure if you're going to take someone's uh, advice, you want to take all of it. And I think it definitely would apply here, and I would agree with that. And I'm glad you actually, in a way, changed your question. First you said, how should I talk to him? But then you even said, should I? And um, <laughs> that is important to make that distinction because... Uh, he's 28, and he has to make his own decision. And as much as you might have your concerns about what he's doing, um, you have to make sure he's making that decision. Now, can someone share their concerns with someone? I think yes, but it depends on a few things. One, and probably the most important, is your relationship with that person. And by relationship, I don't just mean mother, son, brother, sister, or something like that. I mean what is the quality of your relationship? Because people don't want to hear advice from someone they don't feel very close to and good about. Um, or we really want to make sure the person knows us, cares about us, and has our best interests, and we feel connected to them. Because if you don't, and someone just tells you this is a bad relationship, good relationship, you don't really care much for that. So you have to look at your relationship with him. Um, but then also, you know, if, if he has asked you for advice, that's one thing. So when we're giving unsolicited advice or warnings, if you want to call it that, we always have to be aware that we're entering into a, um, a territory where we're, we're violating someone's space to some degree, a psychological space. So you have to be aware. It's like, like you're trespassing. You're going into someone's home. You can't just go in and say, well, I want to be here. I'm going to do whatever I want. You are asking to, in a way, violate that space and be ready for how they're going to respond. And if they say they don't want to hear it, you have to respect that. Um, if you just want to say it, the more you say it in a 
calm way, not in a, I know this is, you know, sometimes parents tell me, I tell my son or my daughter, I know this is going to ruin your life if you keep this relationship. And, you know, first of all, you can't say you know something like that. So it's being very dramatic. And you're saying it in a way that likely is just going to make them defensive. So if you want to share your concerns with him, you can, but it has to be left at that. Because I, I know you changed the way you asked your question at the end, but I get the sense that part of what you're wondering is how do I get him to end this relationship? Because I think that's what's best for him. And you'll have to, <laughs> as best as you can, abandon that mindset that, you know, it's not up to you to end this relationship or to keep this relationship going. If you feel like, you know, in, in the course of talking with him, you'd like to share some of your concerns. You can, but I'd even be aware of how you're doing that. And my guess is you've already told him, based on how you've described things, that it's not that he thinks you're totally on board with him living with this girlfriend. Um, so more than likely, you've expressed to him how you feel. Yes. I, uh, I think I shared my concern with him almost a year ago uh, mm -hmm. and in a real-life approach. And nothing like, you know, I know what I'm talking about, what's best mm -hmm. for you, none of this. I, uh, actually, we do have a very good relationship. We are close to each other, and I'm, I like to think that he knows that I have his best interest in mind. Uh, so at the time, I kind of <laughs> followed your father again and asked him, uh, what are the three things? Oh, I just approached him with saying that, you know, are you serious about getting married uh, to her? And he said no. And just the fact that he says no, and again, another time, six months later, so for, I think he, he sees the red flag himself, and uh, so that's why he, when, we, when I ask him, you want to get married, he says no. Uh, so I did not uh, badmouth or anything, and I said, uh, so what are the three things that you like? I said, you know, I heard this is going to help you to make a decision. Uh, is tell me three things that you like about her and three things that you, is bothering you. And uh, he did tell me three things, but uh, I have a feeling that he is just, comfortable he knows it's not right choice yeah, and he might be you know but here's the thing when you tell me i talk to him um obviously you had an agenda for your conversation and that's gonna even affect the way you have a conversation so if you say i want to understand my son's relationship with his girlfriend what's going on you maybe want to say that's why you had the conversation, but really it seems like you wanted him to end the relationship because you think that's the right thing to do. And so when we have a, a, an agenda for a conversation, that's going to affect the actual exchange of ideas and thoughts and feelings that are there because you're not just trying to take in information and understand and, and share with him and for him to share with you. You really are trying to affect his decision and make him do a certain thing. And that's going to affect your conversation with him. Now, you might be right. He's, come, he's saying, I'm with someone that I don't want to be with, but I keep living with them. Um, or not that he doesn't want to be with, but doesn't see a future. There could be some, he's in a comfort zone. It's hard to end it. You know, lots of things could be going on. But eventually, he'll have to make that decision. So you can have a conversation with him if he's open to it about, you know, this is how I was wondering if you just feel either... Um, 
stuck or you feel like you are in this relationship and you don't know what to do, but even that might be pushing him more than you need to push. Really, this is going to be his decision to make and it might be even better for you to realize it's not my, you almost, it seems like you almost feel responsible to do something like it's your role, but it's not your role to uh, affect his relationships. If he comes, asks you for advice, then you could tell him a bit more. But I, I think the thinking that you have to change what's going on in his life is something that you might want to keep in check or be aware of. No, I, I, that's not my intention. I, I, I'm not just trying to tell him what to do. It's uh, actually, uh, I, if he said, yes, this is the person that I want to marry with, I want to I try to change my mind and just love her. I told him that, you know, the reason I'm asking you whether you want to marry her or not, because if you are, I'm going to love her like my own daughter. I, I, went in, I mean, it's a difference if I feel like she's going to come to my family. I'm going to start, you know, try to get closer to her and, and try to love her. But I don't want to invest this kind of emotion if I know that, no, this is not going to happen. And also give him a wrong idea that I love this girl and go marry her. So well, see, I mean, that's what's for my own sake yeah. to know where I'm stand and what I'm supposed to do. Well, I mean, if you ask me, you should love her anyway. I mean, I, I mean, it's different. I do. If, yes, I do love okay. her. And show her love. There's nothing you need to, you know, if, yeah, of course, if they're married, you, it affects the way he's going to be with her, you're going to be with her. But as far as, you know, you're saying investing because something is happening, you know, it's your son's girlfriend. And so I hope you'll treat her with the love you would treat your son's girlfriend, not, um, you know, you don't, I think you're thinking, well, it's going to end, so let me be aware of how much love I give her or how much I invest in this. You don't have to invest that much anyway. Just, you know, however you think it makes sense to show love to her, you can do that. I don't think you need to hold something back. And it does seem like you are afraid that if you are too loving towards her, it'll give your son the impression that you think she's a good match and he'll stay with her longer or marry her. But I don't think it'll have that impact again you don't have to get that involved even if he said i do want to marry her you don't need to do that much you don't need to go out of your way to get so close to her it might even show that you want to get too involved if they want to come see you if they want to have a relationship that's fine but you don't have to have this close relationship with your son's girlfriend or wife where it's uh, some kind of let's say regular communication if it makes sense that can happen but i would be concerned with some of the things that you're saying that you want to get too involved whatever the situation might be. And so a little more hands-off might actually be better than let me get involved with it. And let me actually, let me ask you a question. Let's just take a step back. What do you think you were wanting to ask from me today? Uh, well, you gave me advice about whether to ask him or not. But the other thing is, it, it, it worries me. I keep thinking that uh, what's going to happen is, making a wrong choice and he's going to get married and then he's going to get divorced or he's so he's kind of a timid person he may be unhappy and stay in in the marriage right forever so as you know he might person. i know but if he's a timid person if you try to make decisions for him he's going to be more timid 
you, you know, this is something that parents do with their kids. They say, I want my kid to, to stick up for themselves, but then they don't let them stick up to them. Or I want my kid to be confident in their decisions, but then they undermine their kids' decisions. So if you want, you know, if you think that by helping him become less timid, you have to go make the decisions for him, or, you know, there's nothing you can do. If he's going to always be timid, he's, that's just going to be him. And you can't go make every decision for him anyway. So um, I think you know maybe you wanted more permission to go be stronger in how you're telling him to to get out of this relationship. But I, I don't see that as the right thing. I, and I'm not saying even maybe this is the wrong relationship. Living with her isn't right. I don't know. But I don't think it's for you to go make that decision for him. It's not about if your advice is good or bad to me. It's about if it's intrusive and overstepping your bounds more than evaluating your your advice itself. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, I agree. I, I yeah. knew it all along, and I wasn't trying to do this. But I just cannot keep this, uh, this thought that's bothering me and worrying me. Uh, I, I'm constantly thinking about it, and I just imagine well, which I get, life you is going to be ruined and all. Well, and that, I, I mean, I'm but helpless. that's going to... Right, but I, I, you said you're helpless? Yes, because I can't do anything about it. But that's that's the whole point, is that you have to try to accept that part. Not really that it's helplessness, but that it's not your decision to make for him. Because I think, yes, if you're worried about your son, it's going to have uh, an effect on you, but it also seems like you're carrying with you this... And I, sh I have to do something about it. How could I just stand by and let this happen? But if you can accept that it's not your responsibility to make this decision for him, then it might make it a little easier to not have it eat at you this way, rather than you think, I'm supposed to do something. What kind of a mom lets her son marry someone wrong? And so you have this feeling that you're supposed to do something, so you have guilt come in and these negative feelings come in that you're doing something wrong or bad. But to me, that seems like it's that you're assuming your responsibility is bigger than it is as the mother of a 28-year-old, that he has to make his own decision about this, even if it's wrong or bad or whatever it might be. For you to think that I'm supposed to intervene, that's going to create more of a headache for you because you're going to feel like every day he's still with her and I need to do something. But if you say, okay, he's with her, I'm not sure if it's good, but I have nothing to do about it you might still feel something, but likely it'll become less than if you have this feeling of guilt and burden that you're supposed to do something. Okay. I, I <laughs> I'm not sure you... I, I, I get the sense you don't agree with me, which I didn't expect you to, but I'm just sharing that it, it won't be easy for that to change. But again, it might be that you're going to have to try to do less than more and recognize that that's okay. You're not doing something wrong. You're not neglecting him. You're not... Um, hurting him in some way by, by doing that, by trying to let go of that more. Yes, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I know yeah. there is nothing I can do and I shouldn't do, and I right. should let him make this decision. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I just uh, need a way to stop those worrying thoughts from my brain, and I think you just told me that I just have to accept that that's what it is. You yeah. can't do anything, accept this, and let it happen, whatever it was to happen. Right. And so a lot of times in life, we can feel like, you know, we get some kind of rule. You're not supposed to do this. I get it. But when we're in the situation, it feels like, yeah, but in this case, 
you know, because there are exceptions to every rule. But usually it's that because when we're in it, that's why we make the rules, because it feels like we should do something. But we look at the rule to realize there could be something there. So I, I think in a way it's like, okay, I know you're not supposed to interfere, but but this situation is so much that actually maybe this is the case where I'm supposed to do something. And to me, it seems that, you know, with everything you said, again, it could be it's the wrong relationship living with her when he doesn't want to get married to her might have negative consequences i don't know for sure but that's not the part i'm looking at i hope you can yeah try to come to terms with letting go of it as much as possible and just trust that your son will have to make his own decisions and and he'll live with them and you'll live with being his mom and being in that kind of relationship with him okay i i will do that thank you i appreciate so you much. calling thank you so much to heart and I will definitely try my best to just uh, to stay away and let whatever happen happen. Okay. Well, good <laughs> luck with that. It was nice talking. You have a great day. Thank you so much. Uh, you have a great sure. program. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go into another commercial break. We'll be right back. back uh let's go to one last caller we got about 10 minutes so let's bring a caller on that's other radio hamra you're on the air hello hello yes hi thanks for calling hi dr holopi thanks for taking my call my um pleasure. just a, a quick question i just wanted to know your feedback and advice on um the issue that i'm dealing with it's a bit confusing when you hear different um, uh, and contradicting stories on how transparent one should be with the younger children. Um, my question relates to my six-year-old and, um, and myself and his mother are kind of on opposite ends of the transparency when it comes to bad news and um, to, to share that with the, the six-year-old boy to let him know, for example, that you know, I myself a couple of days ago was not feeling well and I had to go to an emergency in hospital. Um, so um, I wanted to not share the information, not to get him really worried about it, uh, but his mother was under the impression that, no, he is smart enough to know that you're not feeling good and he needs to know. So when we told him, he got really upset uh, as to... Uh, why I'm going to the hospital, and so he had a hard time falling asleep and everything else. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to find out what is your um, feedback on this. Should we yeah. as parents be as tra- transparent as we are um, with the younger children, being in the age of five, six, seven, to let them know, for example, the bad news, I'm sick, or should we kind of not express that for their best interest? Uh, yeah, I th- you know, it's a great question, and it's... Um like a lot of these types of things it's more there's a lot more gray area than there is black and white because it, it depends of course on your kid's age so you said like five or six so that gives us some parameters um, but also it could depend on what the situation is and the, your child themselves you know I, I work with some people that their children are very very anxious and so if you tell them oh this could happen to them it just sounds like this is going to happen it has to happen 
it's 100%. And some other kids might be more okay or easygoing about that. So you do have to also look at your own child. I don't think there's one script to say, this is how you tell bad news to every child in the world, but you have to look at your own child and knowing them. Now, overall, I'm more on the side of transparency and not hiding from kids things, but it doesn't mean we have to tell them everything and especially explain all the risks of certain things. So for example, you could be having financial difficulty and being afraid your house might be foreclosed. You don't need to tell a five-year-old about these financial concerns and say, you know what, there's a chance the bank takes this home and we have to move and they don't need to know about those things. So as parents, you also absorb a lot of what's going on in the world because a five-year-old, six-year-old can't handle, doesn't need to know, and you know, there's nothing they can do about it. So you don't have to give them all the details about everything that is going on um, because they just don't, they can't handle that. Now, when a, a parent is sick, you can let them know, but you can also let them know in a way that doesn't make it seem so scary. So, you know, even if you say the word emergency room, sounds scary. Actually, I don't know if other people have this experience, but I remember as a kid when I heard that word emergency room, I thought that was the same thing as 911 or ambulance because it was emergency. So I thought it meant you're getting, you know, whisked away in an ambulance and it means someone's about to die. So, um, you know, using that word emergency room with a five-year-old might make them think, my mom or my dad or whoever is about to die and it could sound very scary so you could say oh mommy or daddy didn't feel good or was not feeling good and now they're feeling better or whatever it might be but you don't have to get into the details of the danger you know or if a four-year-old asks you um, daddy are you going to die or mommy are you going to die anytime soon of course if we're being completely realistic and transparent you can say well we never know when anyone is going to die it could be any day but a child doesn't need to know that at that young of an age because to them again it's more creating rather than being realistic you're just getting them to think about that negative part of it and could live in a lot of fear and anxiety. So uh, again, I'm more on the side of being open and transparent with kids, uh, especially I work with obviously a lot of Iranian families who want to hide everything and they hide too much in my opinion is usually where we go. In general, Iranians try to use denial and avoidance as ways of dealing or really not dealing with things. So I'm against that in many cases, but I feel like when parents, let's say, are not feeling good, Especially in your case, thankfully, it seems like you're okay. Uh, maybe you weren't feeling well. And yes, in this climate of the coronavirus, most people, if they're feeling sick, it does cross their mind, what if it is that right now? Because it's just so much uh, in our face and we're hearing it and we're, we're worried about it. But I don't think a six-year-old needs to know in a dramatic way about what's going on. I mean, look, if you were gone for a few days, I don't know what exactly happened. You might have to explain that to your your son in some way so they don't just think dad disappeared um, but if you were there for a night and you came back he doesn't need to know the details of your medical treatment and what happened and the risks going forward and the side effects of your medication I mean these types of details are unnecessary for a child to know and doesn't really give them much it just gives them more to be afraid of and to worry about um, so I, I want to hear back from you some of what happened with your case in general but wanted to share some general thoughts from me I don't know if the caller is Thank you. I appreciate your feedback. Oh. Uh, um, yes. 
Um, you know, it was just an overnight observation, and um, it was all fine. So now he's all good. But just wanted to know in the future how should we approach that. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I just think it's one of those things where, it, 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 like I said, it could be child to child different as well. You know, a lot of these rules, we want to know what to do with our kids. And it makes sense to have guidelines. But at times we have to know our child. So, um, you know, I wouldn't hide it from him completely, but I especially wouldn't get into details with him. So what ended up happening at the end with him? Sorry, can you repeat your question? I had a hard time. Yeah, so what, you said he had a hard time sleeping that night. What ended up happening? Did you talk to him? What, what would happen afterwards? Um, he well, he woke up in the morning, and um, I, I got home around um, 1 a.m. And uh, when he woke up in the morning, he was very happy saying, you know, I'm back home. And we had a quick chat about it, and all is good. And I just had some tests done, and everything is fine. So he's, uh, he's, he's basically fine right now. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad he's feeling okay. Yeah, I think especially in this kind of a case where it's getting taken care of and maybe he's already asleep or, you know, he doesn't need to necessarily know those details. Now, if God forbid it got worse and something was happening, then the, there could be different conversations that could be had, you know. Uh, again, I don't want to talk about you, but in general, if a parent is going to be stuck in the hospital for weeks or months or something, then we have to think about how do we let the child into what's going on and not completely block them out from it um, but in this case again you can't go back in time but if something like that happens where in the middle of the night you had to go and someone had to come watch him or something you don't need to get into the details of what's going on because it's going to seem to him like an emergency or crisis and so i don't think he needs to know those details at that age um, but i'm glad he's feeling okay and better and be aware that because of what happened although it seems like it was recent it could have an effect on him and how he thinks about you or your health, or let's say you cough or something, he might be more sensitive to those things about your health after a type of scare like that. And again, I don't know how much it affected him. That's something that you and his mom could try to understand, but just something to be mindful of. And hopefully with your wife, um, you guys can come to some kind of a agreement about where to go, but try not to make this something you battle over. Or let's say if your son is anxious about you being sick, or if you're going away for a night for something uh, to not have this be a thing that you you know let's say get upset with your wife oh see I knew we shouldn't have told him um, because that's just gonna make things worse and won't help obviously your wife was trying to do what she thought was best for for him and you had a different opinion but you were both coming from a place of trying to help your son the best way you guys could and to love your son so I hope you guys can be on the same page with that but just something to be aware of he might have some sensitivity to you and how you're doing if you really felt like uh, threatened in some way about your health and well-being. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sure, appreciate your call. Thank you. Have, have a wonderful day. day. Bye. You too. All right, we just have a couple of minutes left. So um, as always, thank you to all the, the callers that call in. It's so nice. You know, we have set up the studio here in my father's home, or really, I shouldn't say studio. It's, I'm looking at a microphone hooked up to a computer. And um, we're so happy when we get to talk to the callers, which I wasn't able to do for a couple weeks because of the uh, coronavirus and not being in the studio. But we're trying to make that work. And so we appreciate all of you hanging in there with us through this. And um, also wish all the best to everyone during this time 
it's been a struggle for everyone, challenging for everyone, like we're going through these changes with the radio station to try to adjust to it. I know everyone out there is adjusting as well. So thank you. And also a special thanks to Ghazalet today, always uh, all of our staff that allows for us to do the work that we're doing. You know, you get to hear our voices, but there are many people behind the scenes who are constantly working to make sure things from a technical side and in the studio, things are going well. So we really appreciate them. So big thank you uh, to Ghazole again today. I also wanted to mention the book of the week for this week. It is The Culture Code by Daniel Co uh, Coyle. The Culture Code, The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. So I look forward to reading that this week and sharing it with you on Monday night's show. All right, that brings us to the end of today's program. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dawakwi. Hope you have a wonderful day.